0: Audio Ground School Podcast. Hey, what's up, future pilots? Do you still rent or borrow your aviation headset from your flight school? I remember when I was a student pilot, I definitely borrowed for over a full year from my flight school before I was gifted my own set. But flying in Southern California, I can tell you right now that every student who borrowed those headsets was just filling those ear pads. With sweat and grime every single time, and every single time I put on those headsets, I thought about that. And in fact, there was quite often when those headsets would stop working because they had so much use by so many different students. So it was kind of an inconvenience before I had my own set of headsets. But at the time, like it makes sense because I wasn't willing to fork over 500 to a thousand dollars for a headset, you know, I wasn't willing to give up that's like four to six flight lesson so i couldn't afford that for a quality pair of headsets well with core aviation you can get a quality durable and good looking headset for less than two hundred dollars or even a hundred dollars so i heard of core from my friend and had to try them out myself i'm always on the lookout for ways that my students can save money while still getting a quality product So I went out and I bought a set of KA-1 Core headsets for my own and was amazed at the similarities in comfort and audio quality that they had with my Bose headsets or the David Clark models that I had borrowed from the flight school. So this Core KA-1 headset, let me just tell you some of the things that comes with this headset at the low price of under $200. It's got five-year manufacturer warranty service in the US, High-density acoustic foam ear cups with best-in-class passive noise attenuation, up to 50% higher industry-standard passive noise reduction rating of 24 dB. Ultra-soft silicone gel ear seals that allow your ears to breathe so they don't get super sweaty up there. Dual-volume controls for quick adjustments in each ear. Electric noise-canceling flex-boom microphone for quiet communication. Gold plated plugs for best connection and corrosion resistance and to limit the amount of times you have comm issues while you're up there flying. Very, very important. And it even has a three and a half millimeter audio port for iOS, Android, MP3 compatibility. If that's something you want to do. And the best part is that the ones I got are still going strong after three years of continuous use. And sometimes I give my passengers, my Bose ones, and I use the core aviation ones. So, To everyone that's listening that wants your own headset and wants to, you know, be that official pilot and not borrow those sweaty rental headsets at your flight school, go check out Core Aviation at coreheadset.com. And this is Core with a K. So that's K-O-R-E headset.com or K-O-R-E-H-E-A-D-S-E-T.com. And then use the coupon code. Here's the even cooler part coupon code part time pilot to get 10% off. So you guys know how to spell part time pilot. That's no spaces, P A R T T I M E P I L O T. Part time pilot, no spaces. Use that coupon code, you'll get 10% off. And right now, Core Aviation is doing a sale and they have no shipping costs. So you, shipping is free. So that means you can get their P1 general aviation headsets, which are like normally $120. You can get the and now they're like 109 on sale for 109. You get free shipping and then you get an additional 10% off if you use the coupon go part-time pilot. So you can get your own headset that I, that has highly recommended by myself for less than $100. So Core is a great, great new company and they are awesome first headset for students. So go check it out. And they also look pretty cool, I think, and they're comfortable. So go check those out. Again, it's coreheadset.com, core with a K use coupon code part time pilot. Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Nick Smith, your host of the audio ground school podcast and founder and creator of part time pilot online training for private pilots and soon Just a little uh, uh, surprise for you guys, but soon we will be getting into IFR and commercial courses. So that is coming up. But anyways, this is episode number 22, and we're going to continue going through the online ground school lessons in audio format. And the last episode we did was on lesson nine, weather altitudes and altimeter settings of the weather theory charts and information section five of the online ground school so if you're following along and you have an online ground school membership go to my courses look for step two online ground school private pilot lessons and we're on section five weather theory charts and information and we are on today lesson 10 which is on estimating numbers on charts and then we'll also get to lesson 11 on interpolate now this is a bit of a bonus lesson you know not I don't think any other online ground schools have lessons on this, but I got asked many times by students, you know, how, how do I do interpolation or I keep getting things wrong when I'm measuring on my charts when, you know, I'm trying to find values on charts and I keep getting the wrong values or stuff. So I put in these two lessons and then the reason they're in the weather section is because this is sort of the first time we're introducing sort of these FAA charts. So we'll get, obviously we'll get more to those into those charts in like performance and stuff like that. But in the last episode, we talked about the figure eight of the FAA airman knowledge testing supplement, which is the book that you'll use on the FAA exam. And in that what in that lesson, we talked about that figure, which was the density altitude chart. And so you have to start to understand the skills of reading these charts. So I thought this was a good time to talk about these skills and to do these lessons. So let's get right into it with lesson number 10, estimating numbers on charts. Now that you have seen the density altitude chart, you have gotten your first glimpse at pilot charts. You will be seeing a lot more charts and you will need to make sure you develop the skill of reading these charts. I will teach you with detailed examples, how to read each chart, but I also want to take a second and describe to you my technique for estimating numbers off these charts accurately. When you use these charts, it won't always be obvious what value you should read from the vertical axis or horizontal axis. Instead, you'll have to eyeball or estimate what the value should be between two lines. So the best way to do this and describe this is with examples. So let's do an example. Using the figure eight that we talked about in the last lesson, and if you're following along, we have the airman knowledge testing supplement. Pull it out, look at figure eight, it's the density altitude conversion chart. Let's determine the effective density altitude that a temperature increase of 25 degrees Fahrenheit would have at an airport that is currently 60 degrees Fahrenheit at a pressure altitude of 6,000 feet. So we're at a pressure altitude of 6,000 feet where it's 60 degrees Fahrenheit. And we want to know what the density altitude, the effective density altitude would be if the temperature went up by 25 degrees. So we're asked to find two different density altitudes here, one at conditions of 60 degrees Fahrenheit and 6,000 feet pressure altitude, and one at 60 degrees plus 25 degrees or 85 degrees Fahrenheit and 60 or 6,000 degrees, or sorry, 6,000 feet pressure altitude. So one before the temperature increase, and then the density altitude after the temperature increase. Then we find the difference between those two density altitudes to see what the effect So when they ask, what is the effect of a 25 degree Fahrenheit increase on the density altitude? That's basically what they're asking. They want to see the the increase or decrease in that value from one to the other. So we'll find the difference between those two values in those two cases. So first to find the density altitude at 60 degrees Fahrenheit and 6,000 feet, we would go to the X axis of that chart and look for 60 degrees Fahrenheit along that X axis. And we can find it pretty easily, and it's luckily it's lined up with a grid line. So that makes it easy. We can take our plotter or a ruler and draw right along that uh, grid line a vertical line up until we reach our pressure altitude line. Now, the pressure altitude lines, for those of you just listening to the podcast, they are diagonal lines across the grid. So you have the XY grid, and then you have these diagonal lines that are labeled from sea level up to you know, I think like 13,000 feet or something like that, and you, every line is a thousand feet of pressure altitude. So you have the sea level line, 1,000 feet, 2,000 feet, 3,000 feet, 4,000, etc. So we want to draw our vertical line up from 60 degrees Fahrenheit until we run into that 6,000 foot pressure altitude line, and then at that intersection point between our vertical line and the pressure altitude line, then we draw a horizontal line to the left. Until we run into the y-axis and then we're able to read off the value on the y-axis and that'll be our density altitude. So when we do this, our line ends up between the 7 and 8 on the vertical axis for density altitude. And so it's not an easy, easily read thing, right? It's not on the grid line for 7 and it's not directly on the grid line between 7 and 8. And if we zoom in, we can try and break down the vertical axis into more precise lines of measurement. Or in other words, we can mark more lines of our own. And if we understand what each grid line, what each change. So as you change grid lines, what the value changes for that Y axis, we can then break those down into smaller values and then use that to our advantage. One of the lines we can mark are the half thousand lines, which I talked about. So, there's a grid line. So there's two grid squares between every whole value of density altitude and it's in thousands of feet. So you have two grid lines and on the second grid line, there's a one, then two more grid lines. So on the fourth grid line, there is a two on the sixth grid line. There's a three, etc. So that means between the seven and eight. So the, that would mean the seven is at the 14th grid line and the eight is at the 16th grid line. So at the 15th grid line, that is between 7 and 8. So it's, so that's between 7,000 and 8,000 feet. So the 15th grid line would be 7,500 feet. So that's the easy one we can do because there's actually a grid line there. So our line is now, now if we look and we label that ourselves, we label that 7.5 on the chart. Now we see that our, our line is still between the 7.5 and, and the 7. So now we're sort of narrowing down where our value can be. So before it was between seven and an eight. Now we know it's a little bit narrow, the, the, the options we have It's now between seven and seven and a half. So now we can estimate how far our blue line is between seven and seven and a half. So we get as, as good as we can with the grid lines, as, as accurate as we can with the grid lines, we mark the different grid lines. And then we look how far in between those two grid lines are we? And if we look in this particular example, and I show these zoomed in images in the online ground school lesson, it looks like we're about half. Okay, so in this case, we're halfway between seven and seven and a half. That would be 7.25 or 7,250 feet. Now, this is a little bit easier, right, because we're directly halfway between the two grid lines between seven and seven and a half. So that makes it easy. But what if we were, you know, a third or two thirds? Well, that is up to you and your judgment, but I would go all the way up to a fourth. That's what I would do. I would break it into fourths, or thirds or halves. So I would look at my line and I would say, okay, in this case, it's halfway between, all right? But maybe it looked like it was a third of the way between. To me, I can easily do that with my eyes. I can see, okay, there's about, and what you can do is you can actually, if you really want to be specific, you can measure with your chart, with your ruler, your plotter tool, how wide those lines are. And you can actually make little marks and divide it by three, or you can divide it by four and then you can get even more accurate. And then, you know, so let's say for this example, we're between seven and a seven and a half. And if you divide that by three, and let's say our line is a third of the way from seven to seven and a half. So if you divide that by, by three, you're dividing 500, a change in 500 density altitude by three. So that's gonna be about 167 feet. So you can go on your calculator, you do 500 divided by three. Now each little third between 7,000 and 7,500 is 167 feet. So if you're a third of the way from seven to seven and a half, you're about 7,167 feet. So this is how I do it. I kind of break them down and make my own little grid lines between these grid lines. And I do this on all the charts. And that's how I accurately estimate on these charts. So now if we continue with this example, now we look for the 85 degrees, you know, after our temperature has increased by 25 degrees. At 6,000 feet, so we find 85 degrees, and luckily that is a—it looks like that is a grid line, a vertical grid line. So that's easy. So we draw along that vertical grid line up until we reach 6,000 foot pressure altitude line, that diagonal pressure altitude line, which will be a different spot than we were uh, when we did it for 60 degrees. So then where that where that lines up, where that 6,000 foot pressure altitude diagonal line lines up with our vertical line. That intersection point, we then draw a line straight to the left until we reach the Y-axis. And then again, here we are again, reading off the value on the Y-axis. So this time, we get something that is between 8 and 9. but it's So then again, we have, so 8 is the 16th grid line and 9 is the 18th grid line. If we mark the 17th grid line as 8.5 or 8,500 feet, we then see, so we're repeating this process, we then see that our line is between eight and a half and nine. And if you zoom in and look closer, we are actually just below the nine line. And so again, remember I talked about that you can divide these up into whatever intervals you think that you, can, you are able to see with your eyes between these two grid lines. So what I did on this one is I actually divided them up by fifths because it looked to me like it's really close to that nine, that a fourth... A fourth of the way below nine was just not accurate. It looked like it was even closer to the nine than that. So I decided to do fifth. I probably wouldn't go and divide these up any more than, a, than by fifths. You know, I, I mentioned before you could do easily do a third, you could do a fourth, or you could do a fifth. So now I'm dividing the section between eight and a half to nine, those two grid lines, between the 17th grid line. And the 18th grid line by five, so I'm, it's like I'm drawing five grid lines in, in between those two grid lines, and that again, that's a change of 500 feet in density altitude, and when I divide by that by five, that means each of my new fifth grid lines in between those two is gonna be 100 feet. So there's gonna be from 8, 8,500 to 9,000. I'm gonna have make five total sec, new grid lines, and each one will mark a change in a hundred feet. So I'm one grid line below nine or four grid lines above eight and a half, and each one is worth a hundred feet. So I'm at 8,900 feet. And that is how, again, I estimate using these grid lines as I break them up in my mind, or I can even draw these lines with my plotter tool if you have time on the test. And then I do a little bit of math to say that, okay, these new grid lines, each one is worth this much understanding the value of each grid line is a very, very key thing because a lot of times they're on these graphs and charts, they're only going to label, you know, every two grid lines or every five grid lines, or maybe every even 10 grid lines. So you're going to have to understand what the value of each grid line is because on some charts where they only label every 10 grid lines, you might be on that seventh grid line and you need, and you need to know how much each grid line is to be able to calculate what that is rather than just just sort of blindly looking at it and and guesstimating between 10 different grid lines. So hopefully that makes sense. I know it, some of you guys might be like, yeah, I do this like this, duh, like, right, this is really simple. Obviously you, this is what you would do, but it's not intuitive to everybody. And it, it was, you know, I want to make sure that we're not skipping any any basics of this thing. You know, if you didn't, if you didn't grow up with math or charts, it may not be something that, that you've come across. And that's okay. So I want to make sure that you guys understand that and have those skills. So that's what this lesson is all about. And I, there's a video of this lesson that I made so that you can actually get a visual. And I think a visual for this lesson will actually really, really help. And it goes over the example that we just talked about. So I'll put that in the show notes. You guys can check that out. And that is the lesson on estimating numbers on charts. All right, so let's move on to the next lesson, lesson 11, which is on interpolating. So you might, you're definitely going to come across at least one, maybe two questions on the FA written where you you'll have to interpolate between a couple values in a chart or graph. Now there's a couple ways you can do it. You can, if you're smart about it, you can do it quickly and sort of, because if you understand that it's linearly, you can estimate, you know, quickly using linear sort of practices, or you can use the linear interpolation equation if you want to be exact, but it does take a bit of brain space to remember this linear interpolation equation. So it's sort of up to you, but it's another skill you need to learn as a pilot and it's interpolating data. There will be many instances in your flight planning, so not just the FAA written, but when you're flight planning, where you need to use known data from reference table and you'll have to interpolate. Here are just some examples. Uh, You know an altitude and want to get a wind speed and temperature. You know an altimeter setting and you want to get a pressure altitude correction factor. You know an engine power setting and want to get a fuel consumption rate. Uh, you know, an aircraft weight and want to get a load factor. So those those are just some examples of where if that of what you know, so if that aircraft weight, or that engine power setting that you know, and you're looking for a specific value for is not specifically written in the table. But the value you know, is between two other tape values, then you'll have to interpolate to find what exactly the linear interpolation version of what you need is. In every case, you have a known piece of data that you want to use to get new data from a table. However, sometimes the table of data doesn't always have the exact known data element that you have. In order to get what you want accurately, you'll need to interpolate. The type of interpolation accepted by the FAA and pilots is called linear interpolation. And it has an exact equation as follows. The equation is y which we'll go over what all these are equals y1 plus the quantity x minus x1 which is times the quantity of y2 minus y1 over the quantity of x2 minus x1 so to be able to use this equation you're going to have to remember your order of operations if you remember back in math so To remember the order of operations, you'll have to do what's in the parentheses first. So do those parentheses first. So when I say the quantity of X minus X1, that means the parentheses. You do all that first, then you do multiplication and division, and then you do addition and subtraction. So just remember that if you're going to use these equations, you've got to know your order of operations. In that, so again, I'll say it, Y equals Y1 plus in parentheses X minus X1 times in parentheses Y2 minus Y1, close parentheses, over in parentheses X2 minus X1, close parentheses. X is the data that we know or are given in the problem. X1 is the data element of the same type as X. So for example, altimeter setting, altitude, weight, et cetera, but just one row or column prior to X in the data table, so prior to where we would want X. X2 is the data element of the same type as X, again, altimeter setting, altitude, weight, et cetera but just one row or column after X in the data table. Y is the data that we want. Y1 is the data element of the same type as Y, altitude correction factor, wind speed, temperature, et cetera, that corresponds to X1 in the data table, which means the same row or column as X1. Y2 is the data element of the same type as Y that corresponds to X2 in the data table, same row or column as X2. So are you confused? Yeah, me too. Uh, This isn't the easiest thing to explain over in audio podcast, but let me try to use an example. Hopefully that'll help. And then again, I'm going to, I have a video that I'll put in the show notes for you guys. So example, convert an altitude of 3,350 feet to a pressure altitude using the table from figure eight that we see below here in the online school. So if you're following along, you can look at this table or you can pull up figure eight and we're talking about that green and white stripe, you know, different rows are colored green and white in, in figure eight. So that's that table to the right where you have altimeter setting in one column and then you have pressure altitude correction factor in the other column. So convert an altitude of 3350 feet to a pressure altitude using the table of the local altimeter setting is 28.18 inches of HG. So what we would do is we'd look in the first column for altimeter setting, we'd look for 28.18 inches of HG. But this column goes by intervals of one tenth of an inch. So it goes 28.0, then the next row is 28.1, and then 28.2, we're looking for 28.18 we could round up to 28.2 and we may get the question correct we may end up with you know a value close to one of the answer options in the fa written but sometimes the fa actually expects students to do this right and so they'll put the answer as one of the answer options as if students were to have rounded up or round down, right? They'll say, "Okay, student might round up here to make them their lives easier. So let's put if you were to round up, let's put that answer in the answer options." So you want to look out for that. So, we want a value between 28.1 and 28.2, right? We want 28.18 inches. So and then once we get that, once we have that, we'll be able to have a pressure altitude correction factor. So the pressure altitude correction factor for 28.1 is 1770, sorry, 1727 feet, the pressure altitude correction factor for 28.2 is 1630 feet. We want something in between those that corresponds to 28.18. We have our interpolation equation, but we need to know what values we can use for all the variables in the equation, right? We need X, X1, X2, Y1, and Y2 so that we can solve for Y. To do this, I find it easiest if I make myself a little table. So you'll have scratch pieces of paper on your exam, right? You'll be able to write this down and you can just make a simple little table of Y values and X values. So if you're in the online ground school, go take a look at this little table. So the Y values, Y is what we want, X values, X is what we have. So under Y values, right below it, write Y, what we want, okay? And then you can put a question mark next to it because that's what we're gonna solve for. And then make another column and under X values as the title of that column, put what we have and put X, okay? And then X1 is gonna be the X value less than X. X2 is gonna be the X value more than X or bigger than X. And then uh, back in our Y column, we're gonna have Y1 that corresponds to X1 and Y2 that corresponds X2 and it's going to be the same type as what we want. So in this example, we wanted a pressure altitude correction factor that corresponds to 28.18 inches of HG. So Y values are what we want. Those will be the pressure altitude correction factors. So Y is the correction factor that we want. Y1 is the pressure altitude correction factor that corresponds to X1. Now, X is the altimeter settings. okay? so X is what we have. The altimeter setting that we have is 28.18. X1 is the X value, the altimeter setting that's less than X. So in our table, that would be 28.1, right? We have 28.18, that's X. 20 X1 would be 28.1 because that's the value less than X2 would then be 28.2. So now we look at those rows. We look at the row for X one, which is 28.1. And we say, okay, the pressure altitude correction factor corresponding to our X one is 1727. So that is our Y one. And then the pressure altitude correction factor corresponding to X two, which is 28.2 is 1630. So that is our Y two. So now we write this down, we write all these down in our table. And now we're able to input these into our equation. So our equation, if you're following along and maybe doing this, would be Y equals Y1 of 1727 plus the quantity. So in parentheses, X, which is the X that we have, 28.18 inches of mercury, minus 28.1, which is X1, close parentheses, times, and then in parentheses, 1630, which is y2 minus our y1 which is 1727 close parentheses divided by x2 minus x1 in parentheses which is 28.2 minus 28.1 so then if we do all the stuff in the print in our parentheses first and remember the order of operations is well first is parentheses two is exponents. We don't have exponents so we can forget about that here three is multiplication or division and Four is addition or subtraction. You can remember this using PEMDAS That's a, a mnemonic device PEMDAS PEMDAS so parentheses exponents multiplication division addition subtraction so the first thing we do is parentheses the stuff in parentheses, so We'll do 28.18 minus 28.1. That gives us 0.8, 0.08. Then we'll do 1630 minus 1727. That's going to give us minus 97. Then we'll do 28.2 minus 28.1. That gives us 0.1. I'm mean, following along in the online ground school. I break this down step by step, so I show you every step of the way, without you know jumping steps. I remember, you know, when you have a teacher that would jump ahead steps. And not show you every single step of the example of the math problem was really annoying. So I didn't do that. I have every step. So now we have Y equals 1727 plus 0.08 times negative 97 over 0.1. So now we just do multiplication division. It doesn't matter whether we do the division first or the multiplication. In this case, I did the division first. So I divided minus 97 by 0.1 to get negative 970. So now we have Y equals 1727 plus 0.08 times minus 970. So now we do the multiplication. We do 0.08 times negative 970. That gives us negative 77.6. So now we have Y equals 1727 plus a negative 77.6. That's the same thing as 1727 minus 77.6. So now we can just do that last step, that subtraction and we get Y equals 1649.4. So, and there we have it. We have essentially just made our own r- row of data between 28.1 and 28.2 for an altimeter setting of 28.18 and conversion factor of 1649.4. Now to finish the example and convert to a pressure altitude, we, what we would do is just, we add our starting altitude of thir- 3350 in the example and we would add our correction factor of 1649 and we will get 4,999.4, or basically about 5,000 feet of pressure altitude. So, what if you don't want to use that? You don't want to memorize that big long equation. You don't want to, you know, make the table of y1, y2, x1, x2. Then you don't want to remember the orders of operation and have to make all this calculation because that is a lot of things that you have to do. And the more things you have to do, the more chances for human error, the more things you might forget on your exam. Now, if I was doing this for flight planning, I would just Google linear interpolation calculator. And then I would just enter in the values into, you know, a free calculator that you can just get on Google. And that would be the quickest way. But you're obviously not going to have that opportunity on the F.A. written. You can't access the Internet. All you have is your e6b calculator, your plotter tool, and a scratch piece of paper. So you are going to have to either memorize this equation or an estimation technique that works very, very well. And the reason it works very, very well, and I'm about to tell you how to do that, is because you are working with data that has a linear relationship. So So therefore, it can be interpolated linearly. It is the same exact process as that equation, just in a much simplified, easier way, I think, to think about think about it and a quicker way to think about it. So let's go back to our example. 28.18 sits between 28.1 and 28.2. To be exact, it sits point zero eight of one, or 0.08 divided by 0.1 would be 80%. It sits 80% of the distance between 28.1 and 28.2. So if you're moving along, you know, by 0.1 0.01 increments from 28.1 to 28.2, so you go 28.11, 28.12, 28.18 is 80% of the way there. So we want the correction factor that also sits 80% between its two values of 1727 and 1630. So all we have to do is find the difference between 727 and 1630, find 80% of that, and then extrapolate that from the Y1 or that first value of 1727 in the direction of the second value Y2 or 1630 value. So let me show you how to do that. So 1727 minus 1630 is 97. 80% 80% of 97 is 77.6. We can do that by 97 times 0.8. So we know that the correction factor corresponding to twenty-eight point one six or twenty-eight point one eight is seventy-seven point six feet away from seventeen twenty-seven. And in this case that would be seventeen that would be less than seventeen twenty-seven. Because remember in for correction factor, we're going from 1727 to to 1630, so we're going down in that regard. So we want to go 80% of the way down from 1727 to 1630. So we would, and 80% is 77.6. We found that by doing 0.8 times 97. So all we have to do is 1727 minus 77.6 to get 1649.4 feet, which is the exact same answer that we got using the big long interpolation equation. And this was much, much faster. So let's say that instead of 28.18, it was 28.14. So 28.14 is still between 28.1 and 28.2, but it's 0.04 of the way between the two values, or it's 40% from 28.1 to 28.2. So instead of finding 40% of our correction factor difference, right? So we said the difference between 1727 and 1630 where our two correction vectors was 97 and we found 80% of that. So instead of that, we would find in this other example, this newest example, we'd find 40% of that, which would be like 38.8 or something like that. So we'd find 40% of that And then we would find how far away, 40% away, so 38.8, away from 1727. So we do 1727 minus 38.8. So you can just, and the reason this works, again, is because this data is linearly, has a linear relationship, so we can use this linear interpolation. And this is a very simple way to do it, and this is the same exact thing that's happening in your big, long equation. Your equation is simply doing the same thing, just in a little bit different way. It's doing twenty. 8.18 minus 28.1, which is to find that 0.08 and dividing it by 28.2 minus 28.1, that 0.1 to find that 80%. And then it's multiplying that 80% by the difference between 1630 and 1727. So it's doing the same exact thing, just in a different way and a much more complex way, in my opinion. So this is a hard lesson to ingest via audio. So please I have a video for this lesson as well. So there'll be two videos in the show notes, one for you know estimating numbers on charts and one for interpolating data tables. I have these two videos, please go check them out. If you're in the online ground school, read through these lessons so you can see these you know, images and the step-by-step examples that I have spelled out here of the math and all that and the tables that we talked about and even the zoomed in chart images that we talked about in when we we're estimating charts so go check that out there's no quizzes for these lessons again these are sort of like bonus lessons i don't think other online ground schools do that but we wanted to teach you the tools and skills that you'll need to know as we get into these charts and figures for things like weather so we'll have winds and winds aloft temperature and winds aloft that you'll have to do that in we'll have already density altitude and altimeter settings We'll do, and then when we get into performance charts, like climb performance, cruise performance, even like engine performance or landing distance, takeoff and landing distance, you'll have again have to interpolate using that, and even in weight and balance stuff, which we'll get to, you'll have to you'll find yourself interpolating or and estimating numbers on charts. So two skills that you must have, and you've got to get them down. You'll get a lot of practice in these, but these are sort of the introductory skills that you'll need to know. So that's why I wanted to cover them now here on this podcast. So thank you guys for listening. That's all. It's going to be a shorter episode today, but that's okay. Because again, like I said, it's a very important topic. In the next episode, we'll, we will get into... So remember, we're in course step two, online ground school, private pilot lessons. So if you're in the online ground school, go to your courses and click on that. And then we're in step, section five, weather theory, charts, and information. And we just did lesson 10 and 11, and in the next episode, next week, we'll get into lesson 12 and lesson 13, which is METARS, tasks and PIREP. So these are all the charts and, and weather reports that you'll get, and you'll know, need to know how to learn. And these are almost like a different equation. They use a lot of abbreviations because they are very old school back in the day when they had to transmit data with very low, you know, as efficient as possible and as less bytes as possible via things like Morse code and all these other super ancient techniques, right? So this has rolled over and we still use it today, all these abbreviations, and it's almost like a different language. So you really gotta understand how to know. And we go to extensive detail in the online ground school to detail all this stuff and what it means, how to read it and things like that. So you're definitely gonna be asked how to read METARs on your FA written. METARs, Taps, and Pyreps. I know there's FA written questions. There's there's plenty of them. You're also going to need to know that for, you know, your flight training, cross-country planning, and you're going to be asked and quizzed on that on your check ride. I know I, for sure, on my check ride, he showed me, my examiner showed me one of, you know, a METAR in San Diego, and then he pulled out this one that he had brought of, like, Kansas City during tornado season, like something crazy, because obviously in San Diego... Uh, the weather reports can be pretty mundane so he brought me a more complex one that i had to read so you really got to know the stuff for your exams so we'll cover that in the next episode now i can't remember when exactly the date is that this will be dropping but it's right around the holidays so i just wanted to wish everyone you know happy holidays whether it's you know whatever you celebrate christmas hanukkah Diwali, whatever happy holidays I really appreciate you guys listening to this. I hope you guys are taking some time off, seeing family, friends, whatever. It's important to take some time off and relax, recharge the batteries, because this stuff can be hard. It can be time-consuming, tough on our wallets, and and stressful when you put all that together. So it's good to take some R&R, especially during these holidays. So hope you guys are doing that, and thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next week. hey guys it's nick i want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there you might be a student pilot that is you know wondering what to do next how to get started or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck you're in a rut and you're looking for a change something to help get you out of that hurdle from my own experience in flight training after Three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times. And then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now when I heard this I was like oh my goodness this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now of course it's not that we're not thinking but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them and When we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. fly a plane for the first time, everything's great and damn Once you get into you know, bad weather flying or flying at heavy, heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross country flight planning and flying solo on a cross country flight, things get a little more advanced. And when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts, you're gonna hit a wall. You're gonna start to get behind the aircraft. And when this happens, Here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said, I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. When I say modern day student pilot, I just say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24/7, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training Without working. So, most of us have a full time job or maybe a part time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school, we have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so, how is it the part time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You want to avoid or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community, to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7, Either their FAA written or their FAA checkride, so that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English, and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested in and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on Online Ground School, and we will see you inside the Online Ground School. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.